Well, good morning. Good morning. All right, I want to pray, but before I do, I, uh, I just, while preparing for this message, I, I ran into this problem. I was telling Henry, the more, the more I read the Bible, the more I speak, and the more I, all of this, the more it becomes one story and harder to not get lost in the book beginning to end. And, I, you know, you start connecting dots, and, and it starts to look like, you know, one of those, you know, in the movies you see somebody's got this secret board that's got all the pegs and the strings. And, I mean, that's, that's what this looks like in my mind when I'm trying to come down to uh, make a message. So, I, uh, when I pray, I want to pray for uh, the Holy Spirit to give you guys, give all of us really, but just wisdom and revelation that he would, you know, open our eyes, give us eyes to see and ears to hear so that we could all, you know, because I, I, I just, my prayer is that the Lord, you know, the Holy Spirit, would you give you guys the inspiration, the revelation of himself, not that it's me, but it's it's him, you know, that's the whole point of this, it's us receiving from the Holy Spirit, and uh, I just encourage, um, it's really at the heart of this message but that you guys would write it down, remember it, meditate on it. And uh, Caleb, my son, came back from school a couple months ago, and I guess they started learning about rhyming. And every time we say a new word around the house, he's been, you know, he stops the whole conversation to try to think of a rhyme for, for all these words. So it's been a lot of broken conversations, and I lose my train of thought, but we've been rhyming with everything. So I just want to give you guys today a rhyme because they get stuck in your head, you know. What's the apple a day keeps the doctor dentist away or those types of things. So I want to give you guys one to think about that goes with this message today. And it's meditating day and night makes my life salt and light. So that's that's what I want to give. Meditating day and night makes my life salt and light. And that's that's where this this started for me. We were doing a Bible study with Henry talking about salt and light, but before I get there, I want to stop and just pray real quick. So, Father God, I thank you for your goodness, and I ask you in Jesus' name that you would send your Holy Spirit to be in this room, be with us. You said that we're two or more gathered. You are there in our midst, Lord. You are here, Lord. I just pray today, Holy Spirit, open up our minds, right? Give us eyes to see and ears to hear the Scripture. Reveal Jesus who is the image of the invisible God, Lord. Let us participate in the love and the communion with the Trinity today, Lord. Give us uh, just a down payment of our inheritance with you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Matthew 5, 13 through 16, it's, it's Sermon on the Mount. It is um, where Jesus introduces the salt and light passage. And uh, I'm just going to flip there and read it real quick. Um, I'm sure most of you guys are familiar with it. But but just in case, I'm going to go ahead and read it. So Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And I've got the English Standard Version, but I'm going to go ahead and read it. So you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its, its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything 
except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives off light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before men, uh, before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, this this is... This is the trouble. I could sit here and we could talk about these verses all day long, but I really want to get to Psalm 1, which is the primary basis of of my message today. But I just want to hit a couple things here. And this, this is what jumps out to me. You know, at first, my reaction as a human being, as a carnal person, is, is I feel like this is a challenge. I've got, I got to do this, right? This, this is the command. This is the challenge. I need to be salt and light because, and because that's what he's asking us. That's what he's saying here. And he's breaking down. And, and me and my carnal being wants to try to do this in and of my own strength. Which, and uh, I'm, I'm always looking for an antidote in the Bible. I'm not, I'm terrible at things that don't, you know, I'm a math person. One plus two equals three. That's just how my mind works. I'm terrible at language arts because there's no one answer. It's, it's open-ended. There might be slightly better, but you can't get to the best. And, and that's part of my struggle with messages is, you know, you start putting words down on the page and you can rearrange them. And Anyway, so I read this, page, this passage and I take it as a challenge that I've got to accomplish and I've got to do. But in, in, And that was what was coming up in this Bible study, but I'm still stuck with the thought from, you know, I spoke a little while ago on, on the first commandment, which is a commandment to love. And there I was faced with the reality that I'm not the source. Like, I can't love unless I've been given the love that I, you know, Jesus, uh, John 1 says that God is love. He is the source, and I'm the vessel. So for me to love God, I must be first filled. And that plays into this message too, but it's the same thing here with salt and light. I can't be salt and I can't be light unless I've been filled like a lamp with fuel. You know, I, I'm just a spark that goes out, you know. You can talk about, you know, the seed planted in the soil. I'm the rocky soil. Like I need, I need, I need, the, I need the good ground. I need the Lord to till the ground and prepare me to be to salt and light, Okay. And then I've been stuck on the verse 16 in Matthew for a while. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. Now, this isn't normally how things work. You know, if I go out there and I do a good job and I say I'm a sculptor or a painter and I paint something, somebody's going to look at that, you know, like this painting. You know, and then you give, I believe this was Karen, is that her name? Sharon. 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 Close. Sharon painted this, and you give props to Sharon for making that, right? And so, in this verse, you don't have that happening. You see somebody doing something good, good works, but the glory goes to God. And this isn't a natural response. So there's, there's more to it. And I, I want to hone in a little bit on the word good. Good works. Now, 
I have the verse. I'm jumping out of order, but I'm going to quote it anyway. Psalm 16. One of my favorite psalms. I'll probably read it through in this message, but it says, I have no good apart from you. That statement. I believe it's Psalm 16, verses probably one or two. I'm not, it's at the top. Yeah, verse one, or verse two. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge, and I say to the Lord, You are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. And uh, I was listening to another speaker named David Possum one time, and he broke down this a little bit. You know, when we think about God, if you were going to define him by one word, biblically, if you go back to their time, it would have been good, you know. You go back to the garden and you've got got God the Father, Jesus, the Word spoken, that creates everything. And what they, they, they look out at their creation and they say it's very good, you know. It's it's the it's the brand brand spanking new. Not, nobody's messed it up yet, you know. No sin has entered the world. Satan hasn't had a chance to tempt Eve. It's good. It's 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 like right off of his fingertips. His fingerprints are still on everything. It's still a reflection of 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 the author at that moment. And he says everything is very good, and. You know, just like you take a, a car off the lot, the minute you take it onto the road, it gets dirty, it gets scratched, you wear out the seats, you know. It just it happens. It's never like it was in that moment because to even take it a step further, God, who is altogether good and perfect, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that good to God is different than what we use good. Good, you know, the way I understand how we use good today, it's just mostly good. Slightly better than average is good, you know. You know, if you were to grade things, I, I've seen this so many times. You get a, um, you're reviewing something. Good is never the top. It's always like middle of the road. And then there's good, and then there's best. It's 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 tainted. It's imperfect, and that's not God. That's not, and we shouldn't. Associate that understanding with God's. So when this verse, back to Matthew 5, where it says, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father, it's doing something that is uncharacteristic to human beings is what's happening here. Something is demonstrated that, you know, sometimes, I mean, Henry's talked about this a little bit, not, not to, only because you've stood up here and said this, but how even your own kids have seen a change in you that produced something that was uncharacteristic and it took them, that is, that is the good works that brings glory to God. And so anyway, good. God is good. All the time. God is good. All right, so where am I going with this? So we have Psalm, or we say Matthew 5, salt and light. This is our, who, I, who we are to be to represent the Lord, but we cannot do that because we're not the source in and of ourselves. So we were, anyway, back to backing up, our Bible study, doing this, me trying to do this in my own strength, and my, my question to my, internally was what lifestyle produces salt and light? 
that was my question that kind of led me on this journey. The first thing that came to my mind, thank you, Holy Spirit, Psalm 1. So that's where I want to spend most of this message today, Psalm 1. And um, specifically one phrase, but I'll get to that. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and just read it through. I just, I love this psalm. It's short, six verses. Again, I'm reading out of the ESV. Um, Let's start at verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water and yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment or sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Um, If you've ever spent much time in the book of Revelation, there's so much of the language out of this that translates to the imagery, the language in the book of Revelation, ending with Revelation, I believe it's 22, where literally out of the throne of God, that Jesus sits on, is a river of life in the New Jerusalem with trees bearing much fruit planted along its banks. Same in imagery. That's our eternal inheritance, and this is our taste of that today. So back to that phrase, meditating day and night produces salt and light. That is... Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So I want to back up a little bit. Verse 1, and this is the contrast to this, and I, I think there's a couple points in here I hope I bring, I hope I can explain well. But verse 1, it says, who walk, blessed is the man, first of all. What that is saying, and if you go back into the, the Hebrew, and what the idea that that's trying to communicate is, oh, how happy is the man. That's what blessed is the man. Oh, how happy is the man. It's, 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 there's an exclamation mark there. It's, it's an intense, it's, it's the touchdown to win the Super Bowl. It is, oh, how happy is the man. But first, it starts with the negative, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Elizabeth had to point this out to me, but it's walking, standing, and then sitting. It's, it's a progression. It's, it's what happens when we are careless, when we are visionless, when we have no... You know, when somebody's on a mission and you're going somewhere and you have a place to do and it's important, you don't, it's, you don't get easily distracted. Those, those things start to become less and less important. But if, if you're moseying along and you're not focused and driven with purpose, it's easy to get distracted, and that's kind of what happens. So you've got, got a guy that's walking along, and he's, he's tempted. And I love James 1's, and I'm just going to read this. We don't have to turn this. But he, he kind of does the same thing. He explains the same actions. And it's James 1, 14 through 15. He said, but each 
person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. We've given counsel. We've listened to something that resonates a little bit to a desire in our own hearts. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. We give in. We participate. And then sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And that's what happens, said the wicked in verse 4. It says, but the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. In Revelation, this is what happens at judgment. The wheat and the chaff is separated and the chaff is burned. So, this, this is the contrast between the wicked... And, and, the, and the righteous, and the, you know, blessed is a man who doesn't do that, because that leads ultimately to death, you know, when we are, and it's, unfortunately, in America today, we, we kind of have, uh, choose your word, I don't, I don't know, I have a good word for this, but just, we, we have this thing where we like being a free spirit, we like our, our freedom, which is to be uncontrolled, left to our own vices, and, you know, you had the hippie movement, movement that went into that. You have enlightenment. You have new age stuff, which is all just, I want to, I kind of want to do my own thing, you know. And, and that, that, that's, that's what leads to trouble, you know, because that's, that's when we are without. And he quotes this verse, and this is what Henry and I in this Bible study have been talking about, is the law. What is the law of the Lord? And for me, it's, it's, it's the boundary lines. To go back to Psalm 16, I'll quote, I'll, I'll, we'll go through and read that in a minute, but it says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And I just, I remember being at IHOP and singing that over and over. Boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And it's just, it's the safety and comfort, but also... Like in this passage, it's like being a tree planted by streams of water that bears fruit in its season. It's just, it's fruitful, it's rewarding. There is joy, there is safety, and there is peace. So let's look at this for a second. So verse 2 in Psalm 1, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I read through the Psalms, and you got David what sounds to me like he's ooing and he's like drooling over the law of the Lord. He's salivating over how awesome and rewarding and amazing it is. And all I hear is a rule book, you know. Never liked rules as a kid. I didn't, you know, the boundaries, the fences, they never set well with me. I just, you know, I respected them for the most part, but I just, they, they weren't the, the delight that this verse is communicating. And there's kind of a reason for this. I remember taking Caleb to uh, Mexico. And it was like time and time again, we would be, we would be somewhere, we'd be like in the taxi ride, and he's like, no, I'll, I'll take it back. We get to the hotel room. We're in the hotel room. It's a nice hotel room. There's a little pool the size of a twin bed on the balcony. He is on cloud nine. 
He's got a pool. He's got chips or crackers or whatever. That is enough for him. He is satisfied in me with the understanding that there is a whole kiddie park and a beach just outside his hotel room. Like you could literally, you walk to the back, you can look and see it. But he doesn't care. He's stuck on the little bathtub on the balcony. And in that moment, I'm realizing the revelation, the understanding in that moment. Like I could tell him, but until he believes me and follows me down there, you know, kiddie pool, ice cream cart, beach, sea turtles. I mean, what more could a little kid want, right? Sand. But no, he's stuck in the the kiddie pool. And, And he gets bored and he gets over it. And, you know, it's just kind of like, yeah. It's, that's, that's all he knows, and it's, it's the revelation. It's the understanding that brings the desire and the delight. Okay. So let's talk about what the law of the Lord is for a second. So verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And I, I was thinking about this, and I, I just drotted this down as I was like processing, and, and the more I come back to it, I'm like, no, there's, there's, there's something there. So I, I want to read this. Now, this is just my own, my own notes. I wasn't particularly focused on this, but I just, I think it's worth saying. So the law for me is three things. I'm going back to this boundary lines analogy because that's what it is for me. It is removing distractions and hindrances to commune with God. It's primary, it was number one. Number two, it, it also positions us in proximity to receive from God. You know, we're not far away. We're, we're, we're in his, his boundary lines. Think the Garden of Eden. They were in the garden with God and walked with him in the cool of the day. Number three, it also reveals God's character and his nature because the rules, the law that God has given, especially for David, I mean, you're thinking Leviticus, Thinking the Ten Commandments, you know, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. Some some things that I don't like. The delight part I have to, is a reach. It's a stretch. But what all of it together starts to paint a picture of is who God is and His character and His greatness. That was one of the things that He would do. Is He would like like taking them to Mount Sinai. He would take them out there. He would show them something and declare His name to them. He would give them some revelation of who He was. And uh, I, I got to tell you, I was reading th- through that the other day, side note. And, you know, we, we focus on Moses so much through that story. You know, he's the main character. He's leading the people. But what about Joshua? You know, talk about a story that I want to see played out. Because Joshua pops up, you know, I, I forget where he pops up exactly, but for me, he pops up when he's part of the 12 that come back. It's like, no, we can take the giants, you know. We can take this land. And he's one of those people that's like, yeah, we could do this. But that means that he was probably there in Egypt. He probably remembers Egypt. You know, he wasn't that. He was old enough to have been through all of that. The plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, all the, the, the events of Mount Sinai, But what he did 
that others didn't is he, he sat outside the tent when Moses would go meet with God and he would listen and he would hear. And he would get as close as he could and he would sit there and his thoughts and his mind was on, on those things instead of you know, listening to Korah and, and the other guys and making calves and doing other things. He, he was sitting there listening. And then, you know, Mount Sinai kind of doesn't go well. Israelites decide, you know, they, they don't want the nearness, the closeness with God, and they want Moses to go be their mediator. And, and then you have the event with the 12 going out and spying out the land, and Joshua and Caleb going back, and they're like, yeah, we got this. God's on our side. Joshua had some revelation there. He had some understanding that the others just didn't place themselves in a position to see. And I, I just talk about the low of, of being that man that was like, we could do this. We could take the promised land. And everybody around you says, nope. And God's like, 40 years in the desert. Like, I just... Talk about the low, but I think it was also a gift. I mean, this is just my personal thoughts on the matter. Forty years is plenty of time, enough time to raise up a new generation, a new army, time to train. If you were going to take that time and be wise with it, oh my gosh. I mean, you, you'd come out there looking like Rambo. I mean, you could take on those giants. and And I just... You know, you get down to Exodus, I think it's 20, 22, and then on through the, no, Deuteronomy, and you, into Joshua 1, and you've, get, you've got God telling Joshua to be strong and courageous, to go take the land, to, to obey the commandments, and if you obey, it will go well with you. But in the same breath that God is telling Joshua to do this, he's also telling Joshua, Joshua, the guys that are following you will fall away. And I want you to teach them a song because when they do stumble and when they do fall and when they start chasing other, other gods, I want you to teach them this song to bear witness to them that they have sinned. But it's also instruction for their correction of how to get better, how to get right. And you see that play out in the judges. Anyway, I want to see that story. That's just my rant for, for the minute. Okay, um, but going back to that moment, Joshua, he, he, he decided to plant himself outside the tent. And, and he got to see Moses' face every time he came out of that tent with his face glowing because he had been in the presence of God. Literally light coming from his face. So if we want to be salt and light, there is no better place to be than in the presence of the Lord, getting to know, getting, getting the revelation of who he is. The delight. And I also want to reference um, two parables in Matthew 13. These are all familiar, familiar to you. There are two verses. Um, I'll just turn to the, flip to them real quick. But uh, Matthew 13. Hmm. 44 and 45. 
the parable of a hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value. This is Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's how valuable this is. Jesus is saying, this is the kingdom of heaven. Again in 45, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the kingdom of heaven. And we've talked about this, or I... I've talked about this a lot. But basically, there is a common theme where, where the, Jesus is talking about, to him who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he, every time he goes out to preach, he references the fact that, that some get it, some, some will see, but some won't. It's, it's not an obvious thing. And, and even in these parables, It's, it's not a given. It was found. There's a verse in Proverbs. I didn't quote it, but I'm, or I didn't look it up, but uh, some of you guys will know this. But it says, it's the glory of God to hide a matter, and it's the glory of kings to search it out. Which, which we were talking about this. It says two things. It it's, speaks of them. The, if, it's the glory of kings to search it out. That means it's more noble than anything else for a king to search it out, to, be, to humble himself and go looking for it. It is of great value. And it also says that it's more, worth more than anything that he already has. Being the king, you, you're, the, you're the man, you're the rich, you're the famous, but it is more valuable. Same thing with this passage. This merchant, he already has pearls. That's what he does. He sells pearls. But he found one that was worth more than anything else, and he sold it. He got rid of them so that he could have just the one. That's how valuable and how important the kingdom of heaven is. So, when, so back in Psalm 1, we, we, we see this. We see, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on it he meditates day and night. And then we get down to verse 3. And this is the verse that sticks with me because it's the picture. It ex Sometimes a picture is you know, worth a thousand words, and this is the picture for me. It says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. But that word planted, that's, that to me says it all. It says that I've, one that I've chosen, this is what I've chosen. And I, it's not that I visited the place, I planted, I'm established and for me as a person, I'm like reading this going, okay, this is the choice that my life is going to be about this one thing. You know, it's, it's uh, what is it, 20, 27, Psalm 27, 4. One thing I desire of the Lord, that one thing I will seek, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple, to be as close to him as I possibly can, to gaze on him. And that's it. And this, 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 this picture is I'm going to plant myself by the river forever. Like that's just, I've chosen to do this, which means that I've given up everything else. That's got to go because I'm not going to go wander over here. I'm not going to be careless and go aimless and, and, and fall into the counsel 
the wicked or, or stand next to the, the sinners or, you know, sit in the seat of scoffers. I'm not going to give myself, not even going to go walking and allow myself to be tempted by those things. Those are removed and I'm choosing and establishing myself in a culture of this. Now, for me personally, this brings peace because this is, this is something that we, every single person can achieve and can do. It's, it's, this is, you know, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is basically saying, look at me. Find your source in me. What is the verse? Seek first the kingdom of God and all in its righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. This is, this is the good part. This is Mary of Bethany, you know, when Martha's in the kitchen, worried about all the cares of the world, and she comes out frustrated with Mary. He's just sitting, talking to Jesus, and Jesus is like, this is too big of a deal. She, she is choosing literally the most important thing, period. She is sitting at the feet of Jesus listening, taking, taking in So here's where this message shifts for me. Because it becomes less about being salt and light and more of, or of grasping the value of, of what we are giving and given in Christ Jesus as the image of God. Like, and this is something that where words don't convey the, the meaning and the understanding of of what we have in Christ and what we have in God and what we are given at, by the Holy Spirit who is living in us. Like we are given access to the revelation of who God is. Um, this is all summed up for me in, in the Proverbs twenty nine eighteen that I referenced earlier. I think I did. And it says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. That revelation is so important. And uh, back at IHOP, the two prayers that we'd pray all the time, to the point that they almost got boring, but, but they, they didn't. Um, Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. And I just, I want to read Ephesians 3 because I just... <clears throat> It's, it's, it's more words, but it helps explain some of this. So Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. I'll read the whole section. Um, it says, For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory... I think glory is trying to convey the weight and the awesomeness of who God is. Like it's, it's just, for us, it's, it's just, it's up there. You know, it's just some not fully understood thing, but it's just like the glory, you know. At least that's how it is in my mind. I'm like, it's something I can't fully under, I don't fully understand, but I want to. But that's just the word that we use, you know, God's awesomeness. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Now, through his spirit in the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend 
with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That last statement is the most ridiculous statement in the Bible. That we would be filled with all the fullness of God. That is his desire expressed through Paul's prayer. And what he's praying for is strength. You need strength. I need strength to comprehend, to receive the power through his spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we would be rooted and grounded in love, that we may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. Not just of God's love, but just, it just, it's, I think it's funny that there's not really, he doesn't explain what he's trying to, to, to quantify here. It's just like, the, the, the height, I think he's referring to God's glory, his character, his nature, the width, the length, all of it. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Like I, if there is anything to try to convey today, it's two things. One, that the revelation of Christ is more desirable and more valuable than anything we could possibly imagine. And it is worth planting ourselves as close to God as, as we can, praying and reading, meditating day and night. Happy, Oh, how happy is the man who meditates on the Word. I want to read through Psalm 16. We'll start at verse 1. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. It's an acknowledgment of my position before God. I love in Revelation 1, you know, John gets a revelation of Jesus. What's the first thing he does? He sees him and he falls dead. Like, he can't get any lower. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's a physically, I have to go low. You know, John's... John the Baptist's response from seeing Jesus is, he must increase and I must decrease. Like it's just, when true revelation of who God is comes, there, there, is, there is no standing in his presence. It's a prostrate because that is right. It is right that I would go low so that he may be exalted. And I just, I have no good apart from, from you, says Psalm of David. So verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent, uh, excellent ones in whom is all of my delight, says the Lord. The sorrows of those who run after another, God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names to my lips. The Lord is my portion in my cup. You hold my lot. And then verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. That's, that's one 
that I think about and meditate on a lot. It is such a wonderful verse. And it says, seven, it says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh always dwells secure for you. Will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. In verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's where the delight, we find delight in his presence, in his nearness. When we embrace and take delight in the law and his instructions, anything that he said and he's spoken, yes, Lord. I, it's one of the things that we, I just, I love that they talked about it so much, but I hope they would sing and talk about how what we have to give unto the Lord is our yes and our obedience. That is our offering. And, uh, and I have heard it said a couple times, but I just, like our, our, our life, our 120 years or whatever our life on earth ends up being, is our opportunity where we have the choice. We are tempted. We have the good and the bad, the light and the darkness, and we have our ability to choose. That is our free will. Not to be uncontrolled, but to give ourselves to one thing. And it's choosing light or dark. And, and that is our offering and that is our gift to the Lord that we can give. So anyway, that is the bulk of, of this message today. And I think um, I just want to say one more thing, just some practicals. I, I'm i still mesmerized. So, so Mike Bickle, pastor at IHOP, or a leader, director, whatever you want to say, um, he's not really known for any he's got some good messages. But what he's known for and what he will say over and over and over again is it's, it's, it's not about the over, overly theological, profound, know the Greek and Hebrew. For him, it's, it's the communion. It's saying the little phrases. It's reading the word and saying phrases back to God. It's the dialogue. And his, his prayers, he's got a couple of them, but, but one specifically is, thank you, Lord. Show me more. That, that, that attitude is, thank you for the revelation. Thank you for making known to me the path of life. Will you show me more? That, that constant dialogue and communion with the Lord is what develops delight and enjoyment. It is what it takes us deep when we sit in that place. And our prayer should always be, give me eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord. And, and in school, when we were talking about how to learn something, Teachers would always say it, read it, write it, sing it, say it, pray it. Read it, write it, sing it, say it, pray it. And do that over and over again until you can't forget it. Until it's, uh, I, I haven't done it like I should, but I've, I've over, over the years, taken a little bit of time every once in a while to memorize some scripture. And I am, in the moment when I'm doing it, I don't get anything out of it. I really, <laughs> I mean, maybe on the first read or two, but then it's like, then it's just repetitive and it's the motion. But it bears fruit and dividends over time. And it's been Ephesians 1, James 1. Those are ones that I've memorized and it's become come back to me over and over again. 
and it is worth doing. It is worth meditating and planting yourself in a place of communion, in the scripture, in the dialogue with, with Jesus, because ultimately it is our inheritance. So I'll leave you with this one last thought. It's, when we're talking about this, this is our inheritance. This is truly our inheritance as believers, is the opportunity to sit in proximity to Jesus, to behold him like the 24 elders and the four living creatures in Revelation 4, who look at Jesus, fall down, cast their crowns, and say, holy, 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 it's the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That is, okay, they don't stop doing that. Because the wealth of revelation that is in Jesus is bottomless. It never ceases, the revelation and the glory of who God is. And that is our inheritance. And so my, my closing statement is, if we're not reaching and enjoying and finding delight in that today, will we find delight and enjoyment for eternity doing that? If, if we're choosing the things of the world today, we're not going to find those things in heaven, around the throne. Those are not the things that we're going to be doing. We're going to be beholding and becoming like Christ because his value and his greatness is so much higher and what we are being called to do, we can only be salt and light if it's dwelling in, in us, if we have tapped into the streams of living water. Amen and amen. Pray real quick. Oh, Father of glory, I pray for a spirit of wisdom, revelation, and the knowledge of your son Jesus. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, let your light shine. The darkness cannot overcome it, Lord. Lord, I just pray for a revelation of your glory for each and every one of us today, Lord. Be our delight. Set your boundary lines in pleasant places, Lord. Let us embrace those. Lord, I do just pray for a revelation of your glory, of your love that passes understanding, the height, the width, the length, the depth, to know the love of Christ that passes understanding, that passes knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.